Good morning, family. It's good to be with you. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're online, thank you for joining us online. Well, I, I have a few announcements before we get into the word. Um, first of all, I have the pleasure, pleasure of letting you guys know we're excited to be relaunching small groups. Now, give it up. That's okay. That's good. Now, Grace Covenant Church, we care, and we're going to talk about our mission today, but we care about seeing you experience real biblical community, and, and small groups are one of the places where that happens. And I've had the privilege of being a part of a small group for this last season, and it's been a joy to get to know some people and to get to spend time with them and pray with them and believe with them and see God move on their behalf. And, and small groups are a place, it's a microcosm of the church. And so my hope is that if you are not involved in a small group, that you would, you would become involved in one. And if you are involved in one, with one, you would invite others into them. Not because we need more small groups, but because God moves in small groups. So we have a small group launch on the 17th. Uh, it's going to be a Zoom launch, and that's just an opportunity for us to cast vision for it. If you've got questions about it, you want to hear more about what we do in small groups, what we try to accomplish, this is an opportunity for you to find out more about it. You can text small groups, the, words, the phrase small groups, one word, to 474747 to get more information. It's a Zoom link, so we'll probably send it the day of, maybe the day before. We try to keep it kind of confidential, but, but if you are interested and, inv- and like to be involved, we want you to be there. Um, on a more serious note, I wanted to take a brief moment to address uh, the, the rioting that happened in the Capitol this past week. Uh, I am saddened, as I'm sure many of you are, by the, the state of our nation and the, the division and the, the turmoil that we're going through. And I don't want to take too much time to, to address it because I don't know that I have a good solution moving forward for the underlying problems that we've been experiencing. But I was, I was thinking all this week about how I ought to address this and what I ought to say, and I, I came away with the reality that, that we, as Christians, have a responsibility to God. And I think that in this season of time, we are being challenged in our mission, and I'm going to talk more about mission today, uh, by the other things that are going on in the world. And my hope is that we would petition God in this moment for his power and his presence, his reconciliation, his strength, his victory over sin and wickedness, his victory over divisiveness, and that, that we would bring to bear the glory of God in our communities that we would be agents of, of love and agents of change, and that we would manifest the character of Christ in a way that is countercultural, is nonpartisan, and it is heavenly. And so I want to pray for our nation, and, and I'd ask you to, to stand with me. Uh, if you're online, if you, if you could stand with me and just engage as a way of engaging your faith. God, you call us to come to you and pray for our nation. 
Your word says in in 1 Timothy that we are to raise hands and pray for leaders, for rulers. Your word says in in Proverbs that that the heart of the king is in the the hand of, of our God. God, your word says that you are, Jesus, you are far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Above the name of the United States, above the name of of Trump, above the name of Biden, above the name of any person who would, would stand in a position of authority. And so, God, we come to you as the one who delegates authority, who puts kings in places and takes them down, who establishes nations and, and dissolves nations. And, God, we ask for mercy over our nation. God, we ask for mercy and grace over our nation, mercy over the people of our nation. God, we we desire to see the, 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 the dividing line destroyed by the love of Christ. God, we desire to see the, the, the radical, countercultural, gospel bearing love that you called us to in Christ to be brought to bear. Jesus, you came to establish a a kingdom that is a heavenly kingdom. You didn't come establishing an earthly throne. Your throne is in heaven. And so God, I pray that we we would live in this season and in every season as sojourners. Not that we'd be uninvolved with with earthly civic responsibilities and duties, but that we would align ourselves to your heavenly purposes. And in all the, the spheres of influence that you've given us, Lord, that we would bring to bear the reality of your gospel, of your command to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That, that the gospel ethic would be the thing that derives us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. God, we pray that you would move powerfully in our own individual lives, that you'd move powerfully in our church, that you'd move powerfully in our community, and that you'd move powerfully in our nation. And we stand ultimately on the promise that you are with us. You are with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Oh, you're a lifesaver. Well, I said that I didn't want to, to take too much time focusing on that because we've got some really important things to, to talk about today. Uh, in January, we try to refocus and, and re... <laughs> 2021 was, was going to be our year, and then... Yesterday, last week happened. Uh, uh, but we, we're refocusing and, and looking as a church on what, what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. And so we're going to take the next few weeks, maybe one or two weeks, to talk about mission and, and the vision and the, and the values that, that shape us as a people. And so today I want to talk about mission and, and our mission statement you saw it up on the screen. It said, uh, we exist, or our, our desire is to help people encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom of God. 
We want people to encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom of God. And it's a, it's a way of, of encapsulating what we're trying to accomplish. A mission statement is, is exactly that. It's, a, it's an instant idea or an expression of the purpose of an organization. I'll, I'll read off a few that you might resonate with. Google, our mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. That is their stated uh, mission statement. I'm not going to say what their unstated mission statement is, but it involves knowing everything about everything uh, for, for their own purposes. I'm joking. Ikea, how many of you have put together Ikea furniture? Some of you. How many of you have uh, needed to pray afterwards? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. Oh, man. I've got stories. Anyways, um, Ikea, to offer a wide range of well-designed functional home furnishing products at prices so low that as many people as possible will be able to afford them. Right? That make, yes, that's their mission. It makes sense. TED, TED Talks. TED Talks are these, these lectures, talks, presentations. Uh, you can find them online about interesting things. And their, their mission statement is to spread ideas. And I think they do that. It's pretty interesting. Every nation, the, the family of churches that we are part of, their mission statement is this, to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. So mission statements give us a clear picture of what we're trying to accomplish. They don't encapsulate everything we do. They don't necessarily exhaust all the methods and the nuances of how we do what we do. They specifically give us the the, the alignment, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going. And the purpose of Grace Coming at Church, as I said before, is to help people encounter Christ in a meaningful, sometimes uh, emotionally experiential way, but certainly to encounter Christ in his word and in worship, experience biblical community, community that, that expresses a, a biblical ethic and, and values, and, and to extend the kingdom of God. Now, organizations draw their, their purpose and their mission from their leadership. You know, if you're part of a corporate organization, you probably, at least at one point, were given your mission statement and were told this is what we do, this is why we do it. And you might have even been told the reason or the, the way that that mission statement was developed among the board and the leaders and the, the C-level officers. It, the mission statement comes from those who are leading the organization. The church finds its purpose and its mission from its founder, Jesus Christ. And so today I want to look at a text that you've probably heard before, but I want you to listen with, with fresh ears to hear from our leader, not our CEO. We don't, we don't operate like a, a corporation, but our leader, our shepherd, our king, Jesus as he gives us our mission. We're going to look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you could stand, we're going to read the word of God together. A lot of standing today, that's okay. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us. 
and that you have expressed that love in a mission to make disciples. That you draw us to yourself and you invite us into your own mission. God, we thank you that you have allowed us to be a part of the vehicle that, that accomplishes your mission, namely the church. And God, I pray that, that as we listen to your word, that we'd be freshly challenged and inspired to embrace your mission. That our purpose would find its home in your purpose. That our lives' goals would find their homes in your goal for us. God, I pray that we would be disciple-making disciples. pray this all in the name of our Lord and our King, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This, this story begins a little bit earlier on. If you were to read chapter 28 of Matthew, you, you see that Matthew has been laying out the, the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and in chapter 28, we have the, the account of the resurrection. And so there is the resurrection and it happens and the, the tomb, the, the stone that was blocking the entrance to the tomb has been rolled away. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of John and James, they've gone to go anoint the body of Jesus Christ, but they find the tomb empty and they encounter Christ himself. They encounter Jesus Christ and they immediately begin to worship. And we see that, that as they go and they worship, Jesus speaks to them and he says this in verse 10. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So he gives them instruction to go tell the others to come see me. I have been risen from the grave. I, I've accomplished what I set up to do, and I've, I've got some things that I want to say to you before we move on to the next phase of my plan. Right, Phase two, as we might call it. And so we see in verse 16, now the 11 disciples were went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, right? Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James and John, went back to the disciples, told them what happened, and so they go to Galilee, and they go to a specific mountain that, that Jesus had told them about. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Um, it's interesting to see that, that in the presence of Jesus Christ himself, some still doubted. Now, that, that's sobering for me because sometimes I like to think that, you know, in my moments of weakness, you know, if I could just see Jesus Christ, I'd believe better. And the crazy thing is that's not necessarily true. The encouraging thing, though, it, you know, I, I, I saw that and I, I read that, but some doubted, and, and Matthew just kind of peppers that in. He could have just said most of them believed but he specifically phrased it in such a way as to point out the fact that some doubted. Perhaps he was talking about, about Thomas. But my encouragement is that, that he puts that in there and Jesus doesn't even negatively address it. He, he embraces them and he gives them the mission. And perhaps you're in this room and, and you have moments of doubt and, and maybe as you look at the turmoil in our nation, you doubt the, the 
Supremacy of God, where are you in the midst of this situation? Why? Where's the justice? Where's the, where's the righteousness? God, what are you, what's going on here? And, and we see that, that Matthew states plainly that some doubted. But others, they, they worshipped him. They worshipped God. Perhaps even the ones that doubted worshipped him. And, and one of the things that happens when we encounter Christ is that there ought to raise up inside of us a, a, a hunger for worship. You know, when we, see, when we see Jesus for who he is, we worship him. In the same way that when we taste something that, that is amazing, we, we exclaim. You know, you could ask my wife, whenever I taste something good, one of the first things, you have to try this, you have to taste it. And she, she, she prefers to, you know, not just shove a bunch of food in her mouth at one time. I have very few qualms about doing such things. Um, but but I, I, will, I will say, oh, this is so good. And part of the experience is sharing it. And when we see Jesus for who he is, part of the experience of seeing him is sharing it. Worship. They worshiped him. And as they responded to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus lays out their mission moving forward, and he gives three components that we're going to talk about. Three components of his mission. His authority to commission them, the mission itself, and then his promise that accompanies that mission. The authority to commission them, the mission itself, and then his promise that accompanies the commissioning. So let's look at the authority, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm just going to read that again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some authority, not part of the authority, not the authority over heaven, but earth is going to be managed by so, so and so. No, all authority in heaven and on earth. You know, when the Bible talks about day and night, you know, blessed is the man who, who studies the word day and night. What is it saying? All the time. What, what does it mean when he says he has authority over the heavens and the earth? That means he has authority over all creation. What does it mean that he has all authority over heaven and earth? That means he has what? In the Greek, it, it says all. The word is all. There's no, there's no mincing words. There's no uh, confusion. It's very simply all. All authority has been given to me by his Father. You see, we, just to speak just as a theological tangent, God established humanity, man and woman. In Genesis 1 and 2, he creates all creation. He creates man and woman in his own image, and he gives them dominion over the earth. That's another way of saying giving them authority over the earth. They are what theologians call vice regents. They are kings and queens in his place. God is the ultimate king. He's the emperor, and, and man and woman, they were to be rulers over the earth. And what happens in, in Genesis 3? But they disobey God and they submit themselves to the serpent. And in so doing, they give authority to Satan. 
And so from that point on, Satan rules the world. Now, that does not mean that God is out of control or he's incapable. He works within his own ability. He's still the creator and he's still able to do whatever he pleases. And the enemy is still under the authority of God. But as it relates to our authority, we hand it over to Satan. It says even in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are um, children of, of wrath and, and, and uh, under following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. I was, I was looking for the, the quote, but it, I, I remembered it. He's, we follow the prince of the power of the air, the ruler who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So when Jesus died and rose again, we, we say that he delivered us. And what that means is he gave his life as a ransom for us. He drew us out and he, he received authority from God. He has all authority. In, in Ephesians 2, or 120, I think it's 121, it says that, that Jesus is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, and, but the age to come. He's over all of it. He has all authority. He has all authority. This has several implications for you and me. Any mission that God gives us is greater than any mission that we may pursue. Your life plan, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan, if it's not in line with God's, it doesn't matter. I love you. Now, that's not to say that we all need to become pastors, and, and that's not where we're going with this. But what I'm saying is your life has a purpose that has to align itself with God's ultimate purpose. And God's ultimate purpose is to glorify himself by drawing people together and making disciples who follow him and, and exemplify his behavior and his character, who become more like him, who ultimately worship him as he should be worshipped and invite others into it. That's God's plan and purpose. And our plan and purpose has to fall in line with that. And oftentimes, the, the, the turmoil that we feel in our soul is not just because I can't get my dreams, but because my dreams are in, in opposition to God's dreams. My dreams have become an idol. My purposes have become idolatrous because I want this more than I want to submit to God's purposes. I want, well, I won't go into it, never mind. Uh, any command that he gives us is more binding than any other command we may, we may receive from a lesser authority. Any command that God gives us, that Jesus gives us, is more binding than any other command that we may receive from a lesser source of authority. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Anyone. Everyone. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Part of what we saw, and I'm not saying uh, that everyone or anyone, I'm, I, I can't speak to the hearts of those who were uh, at the, the Capitol building, but part of what we saw was an ethic that was antithetical to, to Christ, loving your neighbor and loving God. That's not to say that you can't protest, that you can't exercise civic duty, but when you choose to do things that are harmful and dangerous to others, and it, it, it steps out of line with what, what God has called us to do. Any command that he gives us is more binding than any other command we may receive from a lesser source of authority. 
the buck stops with Jesus. Now, the positive of this, <laughs> the positive of this is that because this is Jesus' mission, the victorious Savior, we can pursue it with confidence. I, I you know, I, at one time I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to play, I can play a little guitar, not like Nate, that's why Nate's up here. He can, he can rip it up. Carminji, awesome. He's not here, but he's awesome, nonetheless, wherever he is. All of, all of the players are great. Phil, I can't even play. I can do chopsticks. But at one point, I wanted to play, I wanted to be in a, in a, in a rock band. Um, but that was not something that I could pursue with confidence. <laughs> and and the, the thing about this mission is that God, he's, he's going to underwrite this mission. He may not underwrite your mission to become the next American Idol, to become the next great CFO, to become the next Bill Gates, but he will underwrite your mission to be a disciple maker. In light of this authority that Jesus gives us, he commissions the disciples, and we'll go on. He says in verse 19, Go therefore, therefore meaning in light of the fact that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the content of his mission, of his commissioning? It is to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples disciples. Jesus has spent the last three years with these knuckleheads. (laughs) He had been talking to them, living with them, teaching them, correcting them, loving them. For three years, discipling them. Now, outside of the, (laughs) outside of the, the church, I realized that the phrase or the verb discipling, to disciple someone, um, it's not really common. In fact, if I type it in, a lot of times Apple will be like, that's not, that's not a thing. The, the noun is a thing, but the verb is not a thing. But when we talk about the, the purpose, what we want to do is we want to make disciples. We want to disciple people. We want to create people who follow Jesus. The, the disciples had been following Jesus, and Jesus is now saying, you now do what I did. Teach people to follow me. He describes two specific aspects of of disciple making that I want to touch on. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them. A lot of times, if you've come from from a Christian background, especially like a high church liturgical background, baptism can have this very stuffy... Um, ritualistic sense about it. You know, this is something that you do, either it was done to you as a baby, or maybe you, you, know, you were in a Baptist church and it was done to you, you know, when you expressed faith in Christ. That, that's the view that we hold. But baptism signifies a person's identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection. It's, it's significant because when you are baptized, what you're saying is that you identify with Jesus, that, that as he died, so you are dying. As he rose from the dead, so you will rise from the dead by faith in Jesus Christ. You are identifying with him and you're becoming united with him or you're, you're expressing you're having been united with him. 
That, that was a weird way of saying that. <clears throat> we are united with Christ by faith, and baptism gives us a picture of that uni- unity. But what that means, a lot of times, especially in this church or in, in the Western church, we think in terms of me and Jesus. Almost as though Jesus were going to come down, he was going to come down to earth, and in, in my own personal room, he would say, okay, Eddie, go, go fill the bathtub, and I'm going to dunk you. Just you and me. We act as though our relationship with God is, is the only relationship. But baptism is intended to be a picture to people. To whom? To the church and to unbelievers. And, and what that picture is, it's a picture of us seeing, oh, I have a brother now. I have a sister. I have someone else who's now part of the body. And we who are being baptized are saying, I am now part of your family. Implicit in this, this call to baptize is a call to create a community of faith. Jesus never intended for us to to express faith apart from a community of faith. At no point did he have one disciple. He had 12 disciples. Now he had a a larger group and then he had the the three and he he focused on Peter, absolutely. But, But they all lived in community. They operated in community. And I don't just mean like in Sterling community. I mean in a church community. I belabor this point because our generation, my generation, and, and some from the previous generation, and, and certainly the generation that's coming up after me, uh, th- there's this push against organized religion. There's this push against this idea of, of Christian church. And, and the reality is you're not a church if you're not in community with other believers. You can't just go to your room and pray and that be church. Now, don't come to me after the service and be like, what about the people in China who have to, you know, live by themselves? What about them? Well, they would love to be in church community. And they do meet together. I've been there. I've seen it. And if you were to ask them, do you want to do church by yourself? They would say, no, 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 no. Church is, is a community that God has baptized us into. We're united. I mean, even, even the, listen to this. All authority, uh, sorry, go and, and uh, make disciples, baptizing them what? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes we think, oh yeah, that's God. Baptize them in, in the name of God. Implicit in the name of God is community. Do you realize that? Implicit in the Trinity is community. When we are baptized, we are baptized into, in the name of a community. It's not just one person. Now, there are other places in, in Acts where the writer uses shorthand and says the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And the point in those texts is to say that they're baptized in, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in, 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 in his authority. But that does not negate the fact that when you and I are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we're being baptized into the name of a community, the Godhead, and we're being brought into a community. This is why one of the components of the, the, the mission of, of Grace Covenant Church is that we want people to experience biblical community. Family, small groups matter. Because you need to be in community. You may not think you need to be communi- in community. If you, if you do think, I don't need to be in community, you need it more. I mean, I, I, I use this example often, but 
It's because it's, it's, it bears repeating. I thought I was an awesome person when I didn't live in community. When I was in college and, you know, I attended, I attended a campus ministry, but, but, but I wasn't married. And, and people, you know, you go away at the end of the day. I, I thought I was a pretty great person. I got married and I really like, realized, oh, I have an anger problem. I'm, I'm selfish. I'm lazy. Man, what happened to the college, Eddie? College Eddie was there. It's just no one was there to tell, you, tell me when I was sleeping on the couch at three in the afternoon, Eddie, you're lazy and selfish. Go out into the world and do something. Yes, you can fast all week when you're... I, re, I literally remember this. I was fasting in college and I was like, man, this is easy. Well, that's because you can just go and take a nap. You don't have to fast and also be kind to your children. All the parents are like, yep, that's why I don't fast. You should still try and fast, please, and, all, and be kind. We need to experience biblical community. And, and that doesn't just mean being married. That's not the main point. The main point is that we need to be loving one another. And, and, loving, and knowing one another well enough to love each other through our difficulties. I, I love Pastor Jermaine, and he is, he's seen... He's seen some ugly parts of Eddie. I've, I've, I've had moments where, where he's had to forgive me for, for the way that I responded. And, and we, we walk in relationship. And we, we care about one another. Dare I say we love one another as men masculinely do. That's right. We live in community and, and I'm better for it. And He's better for his other relationships with other Christians. I won't come in on, on mine. Anyways, we need, when we're baptized, we're baptized into community. He's not just saying, do this right for the right's sake. He's saying, do this as a way of forming something. He also goes on and he says this, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Disciples, or sorry, disciples are followers of, of Jesus Christ. That means that we follow Jesus. There are a lot of Christians in the world, quote unquote Christians, who don't want to follow Jesus. And if you are a Christian who doesn't obey Christ, what are you? You're just an Ian. You're an Ian. If your name's Ian, I'm sorry. That's not what I'm saying. Now, I'm not talking about Christians struggling with sin. We all have indwelling sin, and we work to, to put sin and death in our life and put on the righteousness of Christ. But what I am saying is that, that we are called to follow Jesus, to obey him. And that word there, observe, it's not like, oh, there's a nice sunset. I am observing it. Or, you know, me and college. There's my, my beautiful wife-to-be. I'm observing her. No, the observing is a keeping other places it's translated as keep. You're holding it. You're stewarding it. We're called to learn God's ways, but not just to learn them, but to obey them. Kids, when your parents tell you to clean up your room, when your parents tell you to go brush your teeth, they don't want you to memorize what they said and spout that off to them. Dad did... did 
I'm stealing this from Francis Chan, by the way, if ever you heard this. But, but if, if I were to tell my kids, hey, kids, I want you to go clean your room, and I come back, and they're, they're playing with their Legos, and I'm like, you didn't, you didn't clean your room. No, but we memorized what you told us to say, to do. You said you should clean your room. Book of Eddie, verse 1. I would be like, yes, and now we're going to go have another conversation. Right. He, he, we're called to obey the things that we're taught. When I tell you to read your Bible, to get a reading plan, to, to, to get into this world, word, what I'm trying to do is to give you exposure to this word so that you can begin to realize, oh, there are things in my life that I need to bring into behavioral alignment with it. There are things in here that you might not even realize that you're not doing or things that you should be doing that you shouldn't be doing, that, that, that you are doing. And one of the ways that you come to know that is by learning. But in learning, we don't just want to stop and say, I have read the New Testament, I have read the Bible, but we want to say, okay, I've read it, and I have applied it to my life, and my life has changed as a result. It's a very dangerous thing to know the Word of God and not obey it. It's a very dangerous thing. Teach them to obey. We're called to learn God's ways, but not just to learn them, but to obey them. What teachings of Christ do you need to observe more carefully and obey more readily? What teachings of Christ do you need to observe more carefully and obey more readily? Now, all of this may have been daunting for the disciples. I know that I would be daunted by it, but he, he goes on and he says this, to give them radical encouragement. He says in verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? Jesus does this cool thing. I, I'm a, um, I can be kind of blunt, especially in email. And so I have been constantly reminded by people who love me to sandwich things, you know, I need you to do X, or you did this wrong. And, and oftentimes, my email writing process will be, why did you do that? Okay, backspace, backspace, backspace. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> so good to hear from you. How was your week? Carriage return, carriage return. Why did you do that? <laughs> carriage return. Hey, it was really good to talk to you. I hope to catch up with you soon. And, and if you've gotten any email from me, know that I, those, I'm, I'm being honest and I, I, I am glad to hear from you. I do care about you. I just sometimes, I get to the point a lot faster than I should. Jesus is so good to us because he's not like that. And he says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then in verse 20, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He, he sandwiches the commission with this really encouraging, confidence-building encouragement. I, I'm in charge, guys. I'm in charge, and then he goes and he says, and I'm going to be with you. Now, I, uh, I am a, an amateur builder of things, and by that, I mean I only do it when I have to. And I, I've made a few shelves with my brother-in-law, um, and I can tell you that making a shelf is really easy when you have more than one person, and kind of impossible when you have two, when you have one. Like, if you're by yourself... You're going to make some, you're going to cut some corners if you're going to make a shelf by yourself. There are going to be some, some things that are going to be 
either that or it's going to take a long time. Either way, it's going to be very difficult. If you just add one person, just add one person, it becomes infinitely easier. And when you add one person who happens to be the God of all creation, who has authority over everything, it becomes way easier. And he's a carpenter. He tells them, I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them to observe all that I've commanded. But listen, guys, I am with you always to the end of the age. He, he doesn't, I love it. He, he, he says, I'm with you always. And if you have any question about what always means, let me tell you, the end of the age, forever, the, the whole time, all the way to 100. Jesus was promising that he'd be with them, helping them, directing them, strengthening them as they pursued his mission. And family, he is with us. And maybe, maybe you're in a, in a situation where you're like, I, don't, I can barely get out of bed, let alone try and live my mission for God. You know, how do I even begin to make disciples? You know, maybe, do you, at Pastor Eddie, this, this is for other Christians. And, and I will say that some Christians are better at, at, at making disciples, but, but this is a call that he gave to the church. And as a participant and member of the church, you have a part to play in this. You may not play all the parts, but you have a part to play. Maybe your part is to invite someone to church to say, hey, you know, I can't explain the Trinity. You know, I don't, you know, sometimes when I give examples, I, I speak heretically, but come to my church and, and, and hear what my pastor says. Maybe, maybe you, can, you can talk to teenagers. Maybe you can relate to them in a way that... I've reached that point where I realize I don't even know what teenagers listen to. And, I, and I, this is so weird for me to say, like, I don't know some of the slang. I used to be a youth pastor, and I'm sure I was out of touch then, too, but, but it's weird. But there, some of you, that's, that's where you are. You need to be reaching out to teenagers and bringing them to church and inviting them to participate, to become disciples, to follow Jesus. Some of you have, have other purposes. Some of you, you, you know, you need to preach the word of God. You need to teach the word of God. Some of you, you you're going you're gonna to love people into the kingdom. You're going to invite them over to your house. You're going you're gonna to be kind to them. You're going to express love. You're going to say very few words, but, but they will know the love of Christ through you. And, and basically, after that point, anything you say, they're going to follow and believe because they know you love them. But we all have a part to play. And the encouragement to us is that all authority has been given to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to our King Guys, we, we can have a lot of things going on, but what we can't have is hopelessness. You can, you can be really upset, really down, really depressed. That can happen. But, but do, if we take this seriously, God takes away our, our right to be hopeless. And, and I'm not saying that in the sense that if you feel hopeless, you should feel ashamed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you feel hopeless, let me encourage you that hopelessness is a lie. If you look at our, our nation and you feel frustrated and angry and hopeless, if you look at 2020 and you've, you feel frustrated and upset and hopeless, let me encourage you, God, he has a mission and, and that mission has not changed. He, he's not 
not freaking out, not, not worried, not wringing his hands. And, and 22, 23, 24, 25, Jesus is going to be doing what Jesus wants to do because he has all authority in heaven and earth. And, and we have the privilege of taking part in that. Maybe you've never taken part in this because you've never considered yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. All that means is, is that you follow Jesus. If that's you, today's the day for you to begin to follow him, to trust in him over any other idol that you might trust in, to trust in Jesus. And if, and if you've been in the church and you've been following him, today's the day to be, be reminded that we've got a mission that we're going to accomplish. Because our God, our Jesus, he has all authority and he is with us.